welcome to season three of the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast. Where trouble goes, we follow. Today we will be talking about the October movement in Lebanon. These protests have more than one million people. Although many countries know October is Halloween, Lebanon associates the month with a much gloomier time, the October movement. For the past few years, the economy in Lebanon has been plummeting, and because of this, the government can no longer provide fuel, electricity, or water. The protests start with the Lebanese economic crisis in 2018. The Lebanese government puts $6 taxes on internet calls on the apps of WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. People are angry, but this is just the beginning. Citizens were stripped of electricity, water, and fuel, and the government is acting like thieves. 80% of the citizens are in poverty because of the economic crisis, and people are retaliating, but it, it's all ending in mayhem. So how did this all start? Well, Frankie, in order to understand the protests, we must first understand the economic crisis. The economic crisis started with the immigration of one and a half million Syrians and a half a million Palestinians with the Syrian uprising. Basically, this caused 200,000 Lebanese to slip into poverty and about a million Lebanese became poor. And more have kept slipping into poverty in the past few years than it is now over a million. Also, the national currency, the Lebanese pound, has lost 90% of its value in accordance with the US dollar, and inflation is gaining at 84.9% a year. Because of this, the unemployment rate is increasing, and now it is at 20%. So, in order to fix this, the government has put a $6 tax on internet calls through WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. This is about when the protests started. Due to their leader's failure to deal with their weak economy, high unemployment, rising prices, and corruption, people became mad and started protesting. On top of that, the government didn't appear to be using the money to take care of the people. For example, their electricity keeps going out, fuels become scarce, and water has been cutting on and off. The only people who have these necessities are the ones who can still afford private businesses, but even they have to cut meat from their meals in order to get by. Due to this, the October movement was ignited, and over a million people have taken to the streets to protest. So the protesters are angry with the government because they're not getting the necessities they need, like fuel, water, and electricity. So they're protesting the total resignation of the cabinet members. Of course, the cabinet members could step down, but instead, they decide to meet the protesters with open ammunition, rubber bullets, tear gas, and the list goes on and on. They just kind of got it what they wanted, but basically it went wrong. They did actually did get new cabinet members, that's like they wanted, but they didn't do anything. They just sat there. Okay, so the, co so the protests died down due to COVID-19, which is kind of ironic because COVID caused even more poverty throughout the country. But the protests might have even stopped completely if it weren't for the Beirut port explosion. So basically, the government was incredibly careless with the storing of 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate inside a port warehouse. Ammonium nitrate is like this highly combustible chemical commonly used in fertilizer. This turned out to be a big problem when the port caught fire. So basically what happened with the Beirut port explosion was there was this uh, shipment of 2,000, uh, about 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate, which is uh, a very combustible material. And it's commonly used in fertilizer, like Holly said earlier. But it was brought over, and we're not exactly sure why it was brought over or what its intended destination was. But as the ship came into dock, it was halted by some legal troubles because the owners of the ship had not properly paid some of the companies that they had contracted to do some work on 
with the uh, ship, with so they halted the ship over legal troubles, and it sat there for a long time until eventually there was enough protest by the workers on the uh, port that uh, the ammonium nitrate was eventually taken in uh, to a warehouse and was stored there for a long time, which supposedly uh, and allegedly had fireworks in the warehouse which is a massive and obviously a massive uh, security concern but the fireworks were set off uh, for some way and that set off the massive explosion which took out about a mile like miles of radius around the port and decimated uh, injured 6,000 people and killed about 200 so yeah it was a massive oversight by the government, and it was horribly uh, taken, uh, executed uh, by the people in charge. Uh, hello, everyone. Today, I will be interviewing Yasmin Apek. She is an assistant professor in the Global Affairs Program at Georgia Mason, George Mason University. She received her PhD in anthropology from Stanford University and a second doctoral doctoral degree from the Department of Political Science at Bill Kent University. She, she researches and teaches on a wide range of subjects such as globalization, the Middle East, belonging and identity, refugees, and humanitarianism, as well as activism and social movements. Uh, Yasmin, it's so great to have you here. Thank uh, you. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and start with the uh, questions. The economic crisis in Lebanon is even worse than it has ever been before. Would you say the protests were beneficial or did they make things even worse? Thank you, Owen. That's such a good question. And uh, just just to make sure that I uh, answer properly to this question, let me provide some background context here sure. so that some of, uh, some of, some of our uh, listeners can better understand the current situation that you're asking about. So, beginning in October, thank you, beginning in October 17, 2019, several events triggered the largest mass protests in Lebanon since 2005. Uh, those protests uh, drove nearly 2 million people from diverse backgrounds into the streets. Remember, that's a country of 4 million people, so this is half of the country. Um, wildfires were not controlled for some of those reasons were, you know, there were wildfires that, that are not controlled for days, tax increases were proposed on a number of daily items, and cabinet ministers bodyguard fired into the air while responding to a small group of protesters. So in October 2019, hundreds of thousands of precarious groups in different parts of Lebanon uh, throughout the, the month took the streets and fiercely voiced their impoverishment. And despite having different political opinions and social backgrounds, protesters demanded the ouster of all the existing political leaders. The most popular chant during the October protest was Kilun Yani Kilun, it means all of them means all of them. So this, this chanting became one of the hallmarks of the October protests. So these protests accomplished the resignation of the government on October 29, 2019, only two weeks into the mass protests. And the first wave of mass protests and the excitement that they caused continued for about two months. And when the government that was elected in January 2020 could not deliver its promises and face one of the largest economic and financial crises in the history of the country, 
um, new uh, sets of protests erupted across the country. And although in smaller uh, scales, they were still impactful. So these protests uh, have been continuing um, in, in relatively smaller scares. Sorry, scales. So coming back to your question about the relationship between economic crisis getting worse and in what way these protests were beneficial or did they make things worse? Um, so definitely it's correct to say that the economic crisis has been deepening in Lebanon um, since 2019. Uh, Lebanon, uh, Lebanon's currency lost more than 70% of, of its value in June 2020. And during the same period, unemployment rates rose to more than 40% in the face of mass layoffs. And nearly half of the population was living below the poverty line. And 2021 was no better than 2020, and Lebanon's economic crises continued to deepen. Um, you might have possibly saw striking media coverage of long lines of people and cars waiting to get some benzene. And many everyday products became extremely expensive, Banks are refusing to let people withdraw money. Basic medicines are often unavailable. Many homes lack electricity and water. Um, however, so definitely there is a huge crisis, economic crisis happening in Lebanon. And the, the, the ongoing protests since October 2019 uh, have been protesting uh, these crises. However, I think the protests, I would say, are always positive occurrences as they render visible the impoverishment of people and other problems in the country, such as hunger. Uh, in fact, the growing economic crisis helped many Lebanese activists focus more on issues of poverty and daily struggles of poor people. Um, that wasn't the, the focus. Poverty was not a focus for Lebanese activists for decades. Um, in particular, after May 2020, many activists and protesters focused their efforts on addressing rising food insecurity, which impacted more than half of the population. And uh, since then, we witnessed the solving of the middle class and its impoverishment, alongside with further impoverishment of the Lebanese poor. So protests, even though they do not necessarily uh, help fix the crisis in the country, right? Uh, still, um, they, they render visible certain problems and they make calls to the government uh, to, to, make some, to, to have some steps and to take actions in resolving the problems. So hundreds of poor Lebanese express their anger without, sorry, about widespread poverty and hunger by clashing with the security forces in, uh, in violent uh, demonstrations. So uh, I would say, so this is some background and this is kind of like the extent of the problem. But at the same time, coming back to your question, the weather protests were beneficial or did they make things worse? Certainly they were beneficial, but the, the benefits again are not in the sense of directly solving the economic crisis or, you know, um, directly offering any solution to anything. It is just mobilizing the larger society uh, to, to, to pressure their governments to come up with a solution. And I think in, in all countries uh, globally, this is always a positive thing. So I would say this is certainly a very 
the positive thing. Uh, we must support those um, protests since they render visible the ongoing problems and then they remind us that not only there are the problems, but also there is a will um, to demand that these problems can be solved. So when we see protesters on the street, right, we, we have the hope that, okay, there are those people who believe in the fact that things can change. Of course, everyone, like go and talk to anyone in Lebanon, they will immediately complain to you about many problems, including economic crises and political crises. These are not things that anyone would deny or ignore. This is something that everyone lives on a daily basis. But when, when protesters come together, and, and especially when there's a media coverage, this is a completely different thing. It, it, again, makes things visible, but also it gives hope to other people because it expresses a will that things will change in Lebanon. And I think this is in and on itself important, even though we cannot see the immediate um, benefits of those pro- uh, protests at the moment. I think in the long run, they will uh, definitely be beneficial. Okay, uh, well, that's great. I'm super glad they're beneficial. I personally would agree with your points as well. Uh, would you say that the Beirut port explosion, uh, how much do you think it affected it and just how much in general? Again, another uh, really important question. And again, for uh, uh, in case some of our listeners um, may not be aware of this history, so Beirut explosion on August 4, 2020, uh, in which the detonation of 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate that had been unsafely stored at the Beirut port killed more than 200 people and injured around 6,000. So we are talking about something in, uh, in, in huge scales. And the destruction of the port and the thousands of buildings nearby were roughly estimated to displace more than 300,000 residents. The implications were even larger than the shock created by the explosion itself. And the explosion led to a new wave of protests across Lebanon. Uh, People began to express their rage against the government. And rage is really important here. It's kind of much deeper than anger, right? Um, uh, Many people were very angry uh, against the government, the political elite, and the system more intensely in the aftermath of the explosion. Um, Thousands of grieving protesters filled the streets leading to the resignation of the government on August 10, 2020. So in some ways, it's similar to October protests. Thousands of people going out to the streets, pressuring the government government and leading to the resignation of the government, which is, of course, a success of the protest. But what would then we need to uh, consider uh, other other issues as well. So the explosion has been groundbreaking in so many different levels. It was, of course, a devastating event for many people, perhaps more so for the young generation. Shock, confusion, desperation, anger, grief were some of the feelings expressed by many Lebanese. Um, But I I, I want to emphasize that I think we should also see the hopeful side of the story. Um, for instance, we see the growth of solidarity among diverse groups of people. 
In the immediate aftermath of the explosion, many of my non-Lebanese friends who had no prior connection to or interest in Lebanon reached out to me to ask for a reliable organization to donate to. So that was an event uh, uh, with truly global impacts. Uh, and new fundraising campaigns and donation efforts join hundreds of others that had been founded since the October 17th revolution. Um, so aid networks, collaborations, both local and transnational, were more vibrant than ever. Also, grassroots communities and local volunteer groups were undertaking enormous efforts to clean up the demolished physical spaces and also provide emergency relief to those who were directly impacted by the explosion. And I hope that in the long run, uh, such a catastrophic event will continue to inspire new social and political movements, uh, as well as um, alternative forms of activism and solidarity. So um, in addition to the catastrophic impacts of the explosion, I would like to also focus on the hopeful side, which is the creation of uh, solidarity and activism uh, among both tra at, at both transnational and local scales. I think this is really important to see both sides of the picture. Okay, so what you're saying is it's bittersweet in a way, because well, yes, there were so many deaths, but it is good because it raised global awareness for the entire project as a whole, correct? Yes, that is very correct. Yes, I think that it is the um, sweet part of the story. Um, you're right. Thank you. Uh, what do you say, going back to where you said how the people, just their rage and they, how they lashed out the, against the government, would you say the government feared the protesters? Um, so, I mean, of course, it's kind of like hard to answer to that question because like um, no one from any government come out publicly and say like, hey, we fear from protesters, right? So this like fear uh, of the government is, isn't something necessarily kind of um, observable, it's not concrete. However, yes, I think the Lebanese government and in particular the established political elites who are kind of influencing the, the government fear the protesters. You can tell this, for instance, from the brutal repression of some of the protests in Lebanon. For instance, in 2020, human rights organizations repeatedly reported excessive use of force and other human rights abuses by the Lebanese security forces. Um, so I think this is one way that we can uh, uh, we can see the, the fear, right? I mean, repre increased repression and a use of force is uh, are you know expressing some fear on the side of the government. Also, the Lebanese protests have been extensively covered in the global media, right? So this leads to a creation of a global public that is well aware of the corrupt and inefficient policies of the government, um, the Lebanese government. So obviously no government would want a bad reputation like this. Um, so in, in both of these instances, uh, we can see that the government, and also the resignation of the governments, right? From It's another expression of like, okay, we, we acknowledge your power. Uh, we are resigning. So I would say governments, uh, broadly the political elite, uh, fear the protesters, and in particular, they fear massive protests because they express solidarity among supposedly diverse and competing confessional and political groups in the country, 
And when these when governments see people united against the political system, I think any government would feel that. Uh, well, that's great. I'm honestly, it's kind of a good thing the government's fearful from them because that might make them more inclined to change what they've been doing and just help people in general. Uh, so, if the government was fearful and they plan on creating an actual solution, do you think they have one? If they do have a solution. Well, I wish I could say that they do. Um, that would be kind of like a, a hopeful message. But no, I don't think the current Lebanese government or the previous ones um, have any promising solutions for the deepening political and economic crises in the country. Um, there might, of course, be some, you know, well-intentioned politicians um, with some interesting projects and ideas. No one would deny that. Um, there are some, you know, very well-educated. Um, uh, people, you know, in the Lebanese government, but as a government, I don't think there's any expressed will in solving Lebanon's problems. And I think if you talk to different activists, activists in Lebanon, I think they would say the same thing. I mean, as long as we don't have a government that is committed to radical structure level change in the in the systemic level change in political and economic system as long as we don't have a government that, that shows the courage to confront some of the corrupt uh, political established elites in the country um, I don't think uh, you know those minor projects and policies or even some legal changes happening in the country, uh, could be considered as a solution to Lebanon's crisis. All right. Well, thank you so much for all of that information. How do you think the economic crisis is affecting the people? I think that it's definitely affecting them in a negative way. Well, I think it's affecting them because they're not really able to get anything they need, like food, water, electricity, fuel, and lots of other stuff. I think What's especially bad is the government's response to it by taking away their basic human rights. Well, I don't know if the government can really solve that because if the country's in such an economic crisis, then I don't even know if they can get electricity, fuel, and water to provide for the people. It's also what the government is doing with the money that they get after putting taxes on the call messenger apps because now people in Lebanon can't connect with their family members and friends so that also puts like a strain on their relationship and communications. The money could be used to like give back to the community and like make sure everybody has like the make the economic go back up, economy go back up and then like everybody can have more food and more water and more electricity. And I think it's also really frustrating because it's like, they're just like things that have been taken away from them that a lot of people have and should have just to live a normal life. And it's kind of hard because they don't know whenever, like when things are gonna go back to normal and it's been over two years now and things just have kind of seemed to have gotten worse. So if the government's not providing uh, the water, fuel, and electricity with the money from the tax, what do you think they're doing with that money? They could be doing nothing with it, or maybe just maybe doing something. They could be planning around different things, but we don't know exactly. But we assume that they're doing nothing with it, but just keeping it for themselves. Most like, yeah, most like, like what you're saying about keeping it for themselves, they're probably just using it to like double their salary. They could be using it for like personal things, but 
Then again, we are freshmen at Mount Vernon. We have no idea what the government of Lebanon is doing with the money that they get from putting on these taxes. I mean, I guess it is possible they could be trying to repair the uh, port and just don't have enough money to well, spare. Well, they seem to have a lot of government funds when it comes to fighting the protesters, and they seem to have a very, like, strong fight back, so... I think they should try to take down the cost instead of like, trying to direct their force towards protesters and try to take them down. They should actually help and try to support them instead of trying to spend all their energy and all their money to some, like, ammunition, bullets, all this madness, just to take them down instead of trying to try to build them up and try to, like... Do you think the public's response to the government adding a taxation on WhatsApp messenger calls was appropriate? Well, obviously I think it's going to be um, like reacted with a lot more negative comments because nobody wants, like I'm guessing it's one of the main um, sources of communication there, and nobody wants that to be taxed, especially since it's like when you go to other countries, it makes sense that you like have to pay a fee to call people that like live and um, like back home, but you shouldn't be taxed just because you want to talk to your family and friends. To add on to that, I think that it is putting a strain on people's uh, social lives and like ability to contact family members and stuff, because in the modern day world that we live in, uh, social media and that type of thing is one of the main uh, ways that we are able to communicate with other people. I think they shouldn't be like taxed because this, because just trying to talk to other people who they know, and like if they like do this, they may like doing like depression, like other stuff, like all of that stuff will happen. So like if we don't, so like if they keep up with the taxes, things may get worse for the people's health. Like not only the economy might get worse, but like also their health also might get worse. I also get that the government needs this money, so that's why they're putting taxes on um, these messenger calls. But it's really straining, like, the people in Lebanon. So I don't think it has a healthy effect on the citizens of Lebanon. I do think that their reaction was appropriate for those reasons. And does anyone disagree with that? I mean, I guess you could possibly say their actions were appropriate because the economic crisis already put so much strain on the money that they just needed more. But why they would tax just contact uh, stuff instead of anything else, I don't really understand that. Um, I, could, I feel like their reaction is also um, reasonable in a way because um, not being able to contact your family members or your friends could also like strain um, someone's mental health. So that could also um, just create a lot of mental especially health. Especially that when this happened, this was in COVID times. So uh, Zoom was the, one of the main reasons that we were able to still come to school and uh, like contact and contact people that like you know were not uh, quarantined with us. However, they didn't get that luxury, which I think is something to focus on. Thank you for listening to Season 3 of the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast. This has been your episode on the October Movement by Connor Holloway, Stella Olives, Maggie McKenzie, Frankie Whalen, Haley Duckett, Lawson Neff, Dennis Norman, Holly Bowe, Owen Kempa, and Riley Fuller. 